Amen. All right. Genesis 15 and Romans chapter 4. Genesis 15 and Romans chapter 4. This is a message broadcast on uh, teaching others also. Genesis 15, Romans 4. Now, subject matter today is something that cannot be exhausted and yet can be simplified in its very core form. And the reason it can be both is because that's how God is and that's how the Christian life is. The Christian life is never dull. It's only dull if you dull your edge. It's only dull if you dull your senses. It's only dull if we get away from what the Christian life really is. The Christian life is not our church attendance, although in the right circumstances that's very, very important. The Christian life is not our works, although <clears throat> by your works people will see your faith. So you see, the Christian life is the most mystical yet practical thing on the face of the entire earth. The Christian life is God's will for every single person on the face of the earth. He is not willing that any should perish. And if he's not willing that any should perish, then he is, he is willing that all should come to repentance and that that repentance would lead them to relationship and a walk with him. So you understand the Bible Christian life, the Bible life that God wants for a believer is God's will for the entire earth. Now, if you stood and looked at the earth as it stands, if you stood back, the world doesn't represent that. The world doesn't demonstrate that it is God's will for people to have a Christian life. It just doesn't. Because the world is going away further and further and further from God. They don't demonstrate God. They don't demonstrate. Now, for me, that's not the big issue. Having read my Bible, read the history given to us in our Bible, the Bible itself, not all the extra, extra, extraneous stuff, all the extra stuff. Having read a bunch of the extra stuff, okay, but allowing the Bible to be the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. Then what happens is, you say, okay, you realize, okay, the world's going away from God. It's running down. It's running away from God. And... Things are getting more and more untied, more and more unkept. But what am I going to do about my Christian life in relationship to the Lord? What am I going to do about it? You see, the important thing for, for us is that the one thing we have control over, you might say, is ourselves, our individuality. In God. I heard a record-making, world-famous golfer say, and he's in his latter years now. He grew up playing golf uh, not too many miles from my granddad's place. And my granddad actually and his buddies who played golf way, way, way back then saw him play as a teenager at Soda Country Club. But he said the one thing that worked for him was that he focused on what he could influence and control, and that was him and himself and his game. And he said sometimes that might make somebody, you know, appear selfish, 
So I'm not talking about you being selfish, but the world will consider you selfish if you're if your focus is on your relationship with Jesus Christ. A well-known, accomplished athlete who's dead now, died earlier in life through a tragedy, an accident, not drugs or nothing. A fellow was watching him and observing him, and he got a chance to watch him practice one time in a personal practice, didn't say a word to him, slipped in by permission, watched, left, and later he asked him, he said, why do you do that? And here's what he observed. This fellow was doing the same drills that this fellow in this school was teaching his 6th, 7th, and 8th grade basketball wannabes. The same exact drills, the foot drills, the hand drills, all the things they were teaching to 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds at his basketball camp. This high-level athlete was doing in his personal practice every single day. And when asked why that was and asked about the, you know, what's behind it, he said, he said this, I never get bored with the basics. And I'm saying all that as we start there in Genesis 15, Romans 4, because if you're a long-standing believer, you've been saved a while, if you've heard a lot of preaching and teaching, if you've, you know, if you fancy yourself a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40, some of us, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's getting right on up there. If you do, okay, you need to remember you can't afford to get bored with the basics. You cannot afford to get bored with the basics. Romans chapter 4, and we'll glance at one verse in the context. It's a Huge passage. I would really adjure you, encourage you, beseech you to read Genesis 15, Romans 4, the context, and Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. But I want this to be something that's palatable, that you can, you can take in. In Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Let's start in verse 1 for this one. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath where of the glory, but not before God. Notice and mark in your Bible, your English Bible, this word justified here is speaking about standing before God righteous. Okay? A different use of the word than you're going to find over in the book of James. And he says, verse 3, For what saith the Scripture? Ready? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness all right genesis chapter 15 now you remember you cannot afford to get bored with the basics never get bored with the basics you preachers out there if, if someone who's a preacher a, a teacher a minister of the word i i beg you i i plead with you do not get bored with the basics God's people need the basics. Read what Paul said. Read what Peter said about it being safe for them and about him repeating himself and bringing them into memory. Do not get bored with the basics. I beseech you not to let this happen. Genesis chapter 15. And the Lord comes to, to Abram in a vision. In verse chapter 15, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And then he, God gives him this promise after his question. And verse 6 is my point right now. And he believed in the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. And he believed in the Lord. And he counted it to him for righteousness. As I said earlier here a minute ago, the, the world does not demonstrate God or His will. They don't demonstrate God or His plan. And if you're not careful and you look horizontally, <clears throat> you're going to miss it. God's plan is for each individual, and it takes the individual doing it. You cannot do it corporately. It can become corporate, like, say, a local church, after an individual does it, and the individuals band together. He believed in the Lord. I'm going to talk about three things, and we're going to start with chapter 4, verse 3 of Romans, where he said, It was counted unto him for righteousness. In that passage, he goes on to use the word imputed. In verse 6 of Romans 4, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. In verse 8, Blessed is man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. So we're going to talk about believing God for righteousness. But there's three kinds of righteousness that I just want to bring out to you. This is a practical application. Do not try to alter or divide it, although every one of these is doctrinally sound. And as I've said before, if the longer you've been saved, you cannot afford to be bored with the basics. Now watch. Believing God for imputed righteousness. Now you and I know, if you're saved and you've read your Bible and then you've experienced this, you know this is God's plan. He is not willing in 2 Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, if you look at the world, that's almost impossible to grasp. How could you grasp that God's will is that everybody come to Christ, that everybody know God, that everybody have Christ's righteousness imputed, that is put on their record, input into them, Imputed is for God to say, you are righteous. He counted him righteous. Not because he saw him as a good guy, not because of his motive, because he believed God. The ultimate expression, even of love, is to believe God. Well, this world, you couldn't even get a hint that God's will for this world is for every person to believe in the Lord, as it says in Genesis 15, verse 6. And yet it is so. And you must not, you must not, I'm pleading with you, don't explain it away with some doctrine like the points of Tulip, you know, the hyper-Calvinist or fatalism and all that. Don't explain it away. Just believe God. And he'll show you some stuff when we get to the other side. Now, to me, it's a logical thing. It's a very logical thing that the world does not demonstrate 
and show us the things of God. It's a logical thing to me that the world doesn't demonstrate that God's will is for every person to receive it because God's will is also for each individual to have the ability to choose. The great mistake, I believe with all my heart, that as a whole Christianity's made, as a whole those who preach the so-called gospel that they call the gospel, the mistake they've made, dear friend, is trying to make it palatable, that is easy to swallow and taste and like, instead of powerful. The power is in the basics. The power is in the simplicity where each individual runs right up against sin and death and hell and eternity. That's the power. Is it boils everything else away and it stays right with it. And I'm not talking about being necessarily rude or crude or any of that, but pointed. Believing God for imputed righteousness Everything begins here in both Testaments. I, we're not going to go, but never lose sight of the love of God in this truth. Never lose sight of the fact that in Romans 8, when he's talking about nothing can separate us from the love of God, okay, which is where, which is in Christ Jesus. When he says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Okay. And he said, all those things, I persuade neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Never lose sight of this. I know, I know there's some who twist and misuse God's love. But never let that cause you or I to diminish it. I must not diminish the fact that John, 1 John says God is love. He doesn't just love, He is. Now, this thing of the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? It's an imputed righteousness. We need to remember this in our prayer life. We need to remember this in our security and if you're a new believer, get hold of somebody who will help you with eternal security based upon, on, on assurance of salvation based on eternal security. But then the second kind of righteousness to believe God for is one that is neglected a lot. In fact, it's neglected a lot more today than even when I came to Christ all those years ago. And that is believing God for imparted righteousness. Now, let me go back. Believing God for imputed righteousness. That is, we are sinners. Okay? We are sinners. We are unrighteous when we come to God. We don't just do unrighteous. We are unrighteous. And we come to God and He imputes Christ's righteousness to us. He imputes it. He puts it on our account. He accounted Him. Counted Him. Okay? And when it was counted unto him for righteousness, Romans 4, verse 3, now, now in God's eyes, his record's righteous. But God doesn't stop there because we need something else in us. And he said he was going to impart 
his righteousness. Now, I, I, I would do anything I could to get you to read Romans chapters 4 to 8 today and this week. But look in chapter 5 of Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, see, imputed. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. There are a multitude of other verses on this thing of believing God for imparted righteousness. But I want to keep this in a, in a length and a frame of mind for us, not the trees. You get these three righteousness that we need to believe God for. First one's imputed. You, and, and don't cut this short in your gospel preaching. Come to God and He will change your account. Come to God and He will change what you'll face at whatever time you face it. If you face it like my brother at 15 or you live to be 100, whenever that is, you'll face it. You'll be accounted righteous in God's eyes if you let Him impute it to you by believing in the Lord. But secondly, believing God for imparted righteousness. So He doesn't just put it on your account. He puts it in you. You know, you can't take Psalm 51 lightly or ignore where he talks about him restoring unto him the joy of his salvation. Not his salvation, the joy of it. You can't take it lightly. Look at Romans chapter 5 there. Come across Romans chapter 6. Look at my, Here we go, Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have fruit unto what? Holiness. And the end, everlasting life. Look, look on with me at chapter 8. Oh, this is good. Chapter 8. Let's start reading verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Made it possible for us to have imputed righteousness to our account. But then verse 4, that, you should mark this verse. You should think about this verse. You should let it sink in. Big picture that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Imparted righteousness. Now you're already saved. Say, how can a person be saved and go to heaven and, and not live, be living you know, a good, holy, clean, righteous life? Well, because you get it imputed to you. It's given to you. But then we're supposed to believe Him for imparted righteousness you see this is where the work of the holy spirit comes in and there are a multitude of verses and i i I'm, i trust that this will be just a seed thought that you'll go do that because the 
the purpose here is not to uh, be laborious in the presentation of it, but to spark your mind and to sow a seed. That you'd open your Bible and over the next few hours or days, read and absorb it. We believe God for imputed righteousness. We have to believe Him. You can't grab it. You can't do it. You can't earn it. And it's the same thing with the His imparted righteousness, the work of the Holy Ghost. You have to let Him fill you, Ephesians talks about. Okay? And there's so many verses. I, didn't, I chose not to run a bunch of verses because you've got the foundation right here in these four chapters, Romans 4, 5. Six, seven, five chapters and eight. And what it'll help you do is say, you know, in your prayer life, for example, you have to believe God that he will impart unto you and work through you his righteousness. Christ in you, the hope of glory, it says. Be filled with the Spirit, it says. Now, now listen, this is not just for getting up in a pulpit. This is not just for a, a public demonstration of God's hand upon your life. This is about everyday things. Today would be a good day for you to read Oswald Chambers. Today's Wednesday, March 16th. This morning, early this morning, I was reading Chambers. It, it's good, man. Boy, it just it just cuts right to it. And, and he's really, you know, God used, has used his words through the years. Him being dead yet speaketh. Believing God for imparted righteousness. Believe Him to fill you. And I want to say the third one before you get tired of this. <laughs> Come to James chapter 5. I'm going to use James 5 as an example. James 5, and if you want to choke on it, where it's at, you know, and dispensation, all that, that's your business. If you want to get your eyes on one little tree and miss the whole forest that's your business i i don't have time to undo it nor do i want to confuse somebody who has enough sense to just take it like it reads but watch this james 5 we're going to pick it up in verse 16 confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed the context is in starts in verse 14 is any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church. Sick is not like when you take a sick day at work. Sick means you are bad off. Not just not feeling good. They asked the little boy in school to conjugate the word sick. He said, sick, bad, sick, dead. <laughs> and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. That's his relationship with God. It's not his salvation. You can tell that by reading the book of James. Now watch, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Then say, confess your sins. If you have a weight or sin that's so easy to be said in you, he said, confess your faults one to another. Or if you've faulted, you know, in, in tennis, when that toe touches that line, it's a foot fault. There's different faults. You, when you've done that, when you've stepped over the line, get it right with your fellow believers. Take care of it. They'll think more of you by you taking care of it than you acting like it never happened. And I'm not talking about if you go do something, drag other people into it and, and nasty up the church and all that. Just take care of the things, confess it the way it ought to be by the Bible. 
Verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This verse has always helped me to have fervent prayer. The effectual, that means it, it has an effect, it works. So we believe God for imputed righteousness. And here he goes and he puts uh, Jesus Christ's righteousness on our account. He takes our account and it's covered over. It's overshadowed completely by the account of the Lord Jesus Christ's righteousness. And then he says, you're going to walk in this world for a day or a year or a decade or Lord knows how long each individual. He said, I will impart my righteousness to you. I will fill you with my spirit. I will work out from you because you're born again. I'll work out this new nature with the power of the Holy Ghost. But then we believe God for impassioned. Impassioned. I am passioned. Impassioned. Righteousness. You see, he said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is not just a saved man or woman. This is someone that the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which constraineth us, and read the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is that love of Christ coming out of us, and that's why we can pray with an effectual fervent prayer. Verse 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. You see, he's saying that prayer from an imputed, imparted righteousness, when it begins to work inside, it becomes an impassioned righteousness that works out of us and, for example, here in our prayer life. A love for souls of people, not love for numbers or reports or statistics or referrals. And there are so many examples in your Bible, if you run them, where God used people with holy passions. We're not misusing that word. I'm... I, I, I think the one of the biggest things, effectual, fervent, that is fired up in our soul. For example, when it comes to prayer. In Numbers 11, verse 2, I just jot a few of these down that came to my mind. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. Think about that. Effectual, fervent prayer. If we ever needed effectual, fervent prayer, it is now. When Moses talks, he describes his prayer life. He said, I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days, 40 nights, I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins, which ye sinned. By the way, you doing this by willpower is not the same thing. You trying to emulate Moses and, and Jesus and them and, and, and affecting your body and tearing you up, that is not a witness of the Holy Ghost. Which he sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke anger, for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you, but the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him, and I prayed for Aaron also the same time impassioned with a with a desire with a burning in our hearts 
that goes to God and gets it. Now listen, it does not get it answered based upon our righteousness. Listen, impassioned righteousness operates with imputed righteousness first. This is not just a play on words, dear friend. And then it lives out through imparted righteousness, through the work of the Holy Ghost, the filling of God. And then it comes out as impassioned righteousness. I don't know if you remember, but Elijah, you know, he went through quite a bit. And he goes to Zarephath. And God's hiding him. And God feeds him by the brook. And then he goes to the widow of Zarephath. And he's there. And God multiplies it. And God gives them life. And it says in uh, 1 Kings seventeen fourteen, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the curse cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and her house did eat many days. And then verse 17, the boy falls sick and he's dead. And Elijah takes that boy, says, give me thy son. Verse 19, he took him out of her bosom, carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed and he cried and the Lord said, Oh Lord my God. And he prays and God brings that boy back to life. Impassioned. We could go on and on and on and I'm praying that you'll spend a little time in your Bible. But here's the point. We need to be testifying in power. We need to be talking in power. We need to be living in power. If I, didn't, I, I didn't say you had a pious righteousness a pious testimony no impassioned righteousness let me, let me hold it now your self-righteousness about what others do and you don't that is not impassioned righteousness that's just pharisaical self-righteousness an impassioned righteousness of god what if others really saw you ready for this one you ready the love of God Almighty through you. Oh yeah. So wow, we preach against all that kind of love. I know you do because you ain't got it. That's why you preach against it. Yeah. Listen. The world does not demonstrate God in any way, shape, or form. And some of y'all are obsessed with trying to get the world to, but mostly you're obsessed with just trying to get the world and your daily life back to what it was before it became so inconvenient and and i best i can tell it's going to spiral downward until the end and so if the coming to christ the catching away the rapture delays tarries as the bible says then it's going to get worse really worse but what will people see and taste of you've got to be saved you've got to have imputed righteousness you got to have imparted righteousness. But what this world needs and what God's work needs is impassioned righteousness that lives out all the basics. The basics. You cannot afford to get bored with the basics. All the basics of the Christian life, you need the Holy Ghost to live it out. And not make excuses. And not act like, well, you know, I... 
I'll, I'll get some things, you know, really done right with the Lord because, but I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. Uh, how about dropping I'm just a sinner and say I'm saved by grace. I am imputed. I am imparted. And now I want my life to be impassioned. What do I do, brother? Believe God. I can tell you this. The thing God looks for is faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But faith as in believe God for it. Would you today believe God if you're not saved for imputed righteousness? Would you trust Him? Would you get your eternal security down in your soul so you'll experience assurance of salvation? And then would you believe God for imparted righteousness and understand that He, His whole idea, His whole purpose is to fill you with the Holy Spirit, for it to be in you, guide you, at a moment's notice. But you've got to maintain that and believe it. But would you believe God for impassioned righteousness, especially when it comes to this thing of intercessory prayer? You want to talk to people about their soul better? Pray with impassioned righteousness, and you'd be surprised how that will affect your words coming out of you. How about how you serve? Do you do mundane, menial tasks with an impassioned righteousness that's the result of God having saved you and imputed His righteousness to your account and imparted His righteousness to you through the Holy Ghost and now He's going to live it out through you and whatsoever you do, you do hardly as to the Lord. Not through all this external motivation you have. When he tells us be as a good soldier, he's not talking about us to focus on the world soldiers, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. When he gives us all these examples of a fighter and a farmer, okay, and a field worker, it's so that we can have his view of it. The world does not demonstrate God, and it never will. And the only ones left to demonstrate God are those who have his imputed righteousness and his imparted righteousness, and they believe him for an impassioned righteousness to live out their life in the middle of the most difficult circumstances, which none of us here in America have faced yet, not the most difficult. I don't look forward to it any more than you do. But may we be the ones with the heart to believe him for righteousness. Father, I pray you use these thoughts in Jesus' name. Amen.